Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Subrat Mishra. Hello, hello. We also have Armin. I'm still not sure I'm brave enough to try and say your, the rest of your name. <laughs> as it's always read as written Armin Vartanya, or just Armin. Awesome. You're you're a new panelist, so do you want to just remind people who you are? And Sure. I'm a senior Angular developer from Yerevan, Armenia. I work with Angular and ArcGIS uh, and related stuff for the fifth year now, I guess. I've also written some articles and previously was guest on the Adventures in Angular podcast. So I'm pretty excited to join as a panelist today for the first time. Awesome. We're happy to have you. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just a quick heads up if you're listening to this anytime within the next few weeks, you might see things shift and it will soon be topendevs.com. So uh, anyway, got some work going there. Pretty excited about that. But I feel like Top End Devs really communicates what we're about here is just helping people become top end. We have a special guest this week, and it is Thomas. Is it Trey? Trahan? <laughs> go ahead. Thomas Trahan. I usually go by Thomas Trahan online, yeah. Yeah. And do you want to just introduce yourself, let people know who you are, why you're famous, all that stuff? Of course. So, hey, everyone. Hi, folks. My name is Thomas Trahan. I am a Google developer expert for Angular and Web Technologies. And mostly I've been like known in the community by writing quite some many articles on the Medium and then also on the Div2 about the Angular, RHS, uh, any topics like from state management, uh, overall architecture of the applications, library, stuff like that. Besides that, I created Angular NGRX Material Starter, which over time had more like 2,000 stars on GitHub and basically helps people get started with Angular application. That is like an example where you can how to use Angular material, how to use NGX state management, how to introduce some Angular animation and stuff like that. So many people took it and built their stuff on top of that. It was pretty popular. Besides that, uh, there is a Twitter bot called Release Butler at Release Butler, which basically keeps you up to date with the releases of the popular front-end framework like libraries. So Angular, RxJS, NGX, TypeScript, uh, Vue, React, whatever you want. Whenever there is a release, the Twitter bot will basically take a screenshot of the change log and post it online. So it helps you stay up to date, stuff like that. Besides that, I'm working in Switzerland as a consultant helping various enterprises support their teams, doing know-how transfers, implementing critical features, also the Angular trainer workshops, stuff like that. And last but not least, in the recent past, I created a tool called Omniboard, which can help you when you have an organization which is managing many front-end projects, not as a monorepo, but as a multi-repo. It can help you gain insight and basically evolve those code bases. So that's kind of it. Gotcha. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. That's a lot. I've been pretty busy, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's make sure we get links in the, the chat so we can make sure they all wind up in the show notes. But yeah, it's interesting that you went the, before we get too deep into the, the topic, you know, you went the multi-repo route. It seems like we have people talking about NX and some of the other tools that make it easier to do the monorepo. But yeah, there are always trade-offs and it's interesting That's yeah, it. to see somebody working it the other way. So it's like, to... like one of the main arguments there is usually that like, it, it depends on how many applications library you have. So usually like tools like NX really help you. And if you have like small to medium sized thing, then usually that works very, very well. And it's really like the best solution for the problem. But as far as I understand, like the main argument is as if it, when it gets like really large, when you start struggling with stuff, like if you can do like a partial checkouts from your like version control system, there was usually like this argument that let's say companies like Google or Microsoft they, or Facebook, they have like their own implementation, which enables them to have like virtual checkouts of only just a part of the repository so that the developers can work on that. And it kind of needs a lot of tooling. So like, for example, at the organization where I'm currently contracting, we have only for front-end more than 120 or 130 front-end application, more than 30 libraries. So that I would not be sure if this would scale so well, like just with basic mm-hmm. Git support, if we have more than 20 teams of seven developers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that was one of the reasons why we, we chose to go like the, the multi-repo. And of course, then there are other things like independent deployment cycles, which are much easier to achieve if it's all decoupled in its own repositories, with its own pipelines and stuff like that. Of course, everything is possible to achieve also in the monorepo world. It's just the amount of effort and expertise which is available for the given organization and the amount of resources they want to spend on that, right? Yeah. Well... We we brought you to talk about something else, so we're going to talk about something else. But uh, we might just have to have you back and talk about the multi-repo approach because I find it interesting that, yeah, we kind of have a counterpoint to some of the things we've talked about before. Yeah, so you wrote this article about RxJS. And I, I think to start out, let's just start with kind of the basic, what is RxJS and how does Angular use it? And then we can kind of dive into, okay, here's how to make your life easier while you use it, right? Definitely makes sense. So... Basically, like as a short recap, right? So I highly, like I would say, like I expect that like now the Adventures in Angular is a pretty mature podcast, right? It has been around for mm-hmm. quite some while so that the people who have been using Angular for some time or even a short time probably already had some hands-on experience with RHS. But for the folks we are just joining now and can be totally new to the thing, basically it's a library which enables reactive programming and it's like pretty core part of the Angular itself. So whenever you install Angular to implement an Angular application, using Angular as your framework of choice, you are already getting RxJS out of the box because many of the APIs of Angular are implemented with the RxJS. So even if you maybe don't use it yet like hands-on while implementing your logic because you chose like some other approaches, it's there available for you when the, when the need arises. And besides that, like the whole RxJS is kind of centered around the concept of the observables. And for me, like whenever when I was trying to wrap my head around it, like in the beginning when I was first learning these things, there was always this one image which kind of stuck into my mind. It was kind of like a matrix, two times two. And it was like on one side, we had like something which is like, how was it? Push and pull. So, and this may sound a bit abstract, but like if you imagine if we have a function, if we are calling a function, we are kind of pulling the value of that logic. We have to call it. And when we call the function, the function gives us back some value. So we kind of pull it out. And it usually function gives us only one value. So for one function call, we get back one result, right? And then 
if we have like another concept of the push, when the basically some logic pushes a result to us when it's ready. And this is something which is done in the front end with the promises. So when we have something asynchronous, we trigger some processing, which is asynchronous. And this can take anything from a couple of milliseconds to whatever it is, right? And once it's done, it will push the result to our handler. So it's not the us who is calling the function. It's like the like the result when it's finished after the asynchronous processing, then that process, when it finished, it's calling us either with the result or with, uh, with an error if it fails, for example. So that was like the one thing. And then it was extended if it's like more than just value. So if we have again, like a pool, if we are taking out the, the, the values of the function. So if we call function, we get one value. But if we call something called like the iterate, or sorry, the generator function, the iterators, then we can pull multiple values. So we can keep calling that function. And then like the mirror image of that with this asynchronous processing. So when we when we get pushed values to us, but it's not just the one value as we promise, but more values, then it's observable. So observable is something like that, the logic which can push us the values asynchronously over time. That was like something which helped me when I was trying to like learn this the first time. And then one more metaphor, basically when we have an array, it's multiple values, but whenever we do anything with that array, it's happened synchronously. So we'll process all the values at the same time as they go through for each or whatever that is or filter. But then to understand observables, what can help is like imagine a synchronous array of value over time. So if we are processing them, they will keep coming over time, but not all at the same time in the beginning. Those were like the things which helped me when I tried to wrap my head around those concepts. Makes sense. And we've talked a bit about RxJS. So hopefully people can go back and find some other episodes where we've discussed it and yeah, get their heads around it. But I, I like the intro because you broke it down into really neat pieces. Now, when we invited you on, what we actually invited you to talk about was this, the most impactful RxJS, I'm sorry, the most, most, most <laughs> impactful RxJS best practice of all time, right? So, not clickbaity um, at all, right? Not clickbaity at all. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. And Ben Lesh liked your title image, so now everybody has to go look at the, the article, right, just to see the title image. Anyway, do you want to kind of give us what this best practice is? Like, how do I not mess up my RxJS? And then I'll let the other panelists jump in because I'm sure they're dying to. Of <laughs> course, of course. So thank you for that side note with the image. I kind of forgot about it. That was also kind of funny because as many of you are aware, the RxJS logo kind of looks like this dragon, like kind of flipped around. Like it's also like, I think like a take on this Uroboros, which is kind of like this snake, which eats its own tail forever and stuff mm -hmm. like this because we are like in the stream. But then... Like it kind of also looks like a monster, right? So like it came like the idea came to that that it's kind of easy to to use it in a wrong way. So we should really be cautious when we try to use RxJS until we develop proper intuition for those use cases. So there was like a play on the monster coming out of the lake as if like a Loch Ness, Loch Ness dragon or whatever. So that was <laughs> that was kind of funny. And there will be a link in the in the bio to check it out. But yeah, anyway, so as I kind of started, it, the thing with the RxJS is that it's extremely powerful, but it definitely has a learning curve because it's a different way of doing things. So for people just learning to program like from scratch or like from people coming from other backgrounds, like from some other languages or other frameworks, there usually is a time where they need to spend using that to build some intuition. And then there are often some bad practices which can look reasonable on the first look, 
but often there is like a much better solution to a problem. And one of those, which is described in the article from multiple angles is that what people often tend to do is to, that they recreate RxJS streams during the component service or whatever lifetime as a reaction to some kind of change, which might be coming from the user or because like some event happened or some kind of interaction. So, and usually what they do is then they have a handler. So for example, user clicks, submits the form or selects something from the dropdown or whatever that might be. And after this happens, what the developers often do is that in the handler, they will recreate and resubscribe to some RxJS stream because maybe they now got like some different ID or a different product type or whatever that might be. And this is usually a bad practice, which leads then to different kinds of complications, which range from like the maintainability to performance itself for the end users, right? Does anybody so, else encounter these yeah. kind of issues in their code bases? Yeah, to, to be clarify, can you please give another example? Just to, uh, I think for the new folks, it will be a little, little tough to understand. Of uh, course. Like, so, yeah, please. Yeah, so what I'm saying is, suppose a button is clicked, uh, kind of like that uh, example will be, will be good, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine we have an application where we have like some product selectors. So for example, it's a calculator when we want to sell some stuff and we let we want to be able to let the folks calculate like what it would cost them. And then this is usually like depending on what kind of product they are choosing or what kind of additional services they are using, right? So they have some UI and then maybe they select the product, they select some extras and stuff like this. And then we as developers, when we are implementing this kind of logic, we usually have to recalculate that price based on whatever the people they, how they were choosing like those extras or what kind of products they have been choosing. So usually we have like some kind of form or some click handlers, depending on what kind of widgets we are using to display all these available options. And then we usually need to collect this data and sum it all up to basically provide some price for the users. That could be like this kind of use case. Now, what often happens is that not all of this can happen synchronously because we do not have all the additional data available in the front end because they might be highly parameterized based on the customer type or whatever that is. So we will be getting some additional information from the backend to be able to perform this kind of calculation. So already, because we are getting something from the backend, we start to like get an intuition that some streams going to be involved in that process because, of course, the backend requests are asynchronous. So when in Angular, that means we are most likely using HTTP client or any kind of other approach, even if it's GraphQL, doesn't really matter. It will be asynchronous. So probably in the Angular land, it's going to be implemented with the help of the RxJS streams. So now we kind of establish this. Okay, we need to implement this kind of feature. Most likely we are using this technology because of getting stuff from the backend. So we don't have everything available in the front end because if we had, we can just go like fully synchronously and then this is not even a question. Now, what often happens is then like to handle this kind of reactions of the users because the streams are involved, what people would do like, okay, I select now like the product B or product two or whatever you want to call it. And now I need to recalculate. So, but uh, then I need to maybe make a new request to download the, the price sheet for that product B and based on that, make some calculation based on those extras. So what often would happen is that in the handler, people would fire that request or even like recreate the stream. So 
basically redefine it. So before we had like, please get us price for product A. Now we will recreate it. Please get us prices for the product B, then map it based on extras to the final price or something like this. Maybe even resubscribe inside of that handler, right? So, and yeah. this would be an example of something which is most likely highly suboptimal from all those various angles, like performance, maintainability, being able mm -hmm. to evolve in the future, being able to refactor this into library if need be and stuff like that. Of course, also like a very important thing to notice there is that it always depends, right? If you have like a very simple application, which is like one pager, which we just want to get up and running very fast, does this really matter that much? No, of course not. We need to basically deliver something as quickly as possible and that's totally fine. But of course, if we are speaking about some larger environment where we know we are working a team of people where we need to be able to go back to that piece of code, like maybe some months in the future and still be able to understand it. Or maybe like there will be more applications, more calculators for different kinds of products. So then maybe we want to pay more attention to how it's done, to the maintainability, to the implications, to being able to read that code, to understand it, to change it, to decouple it and stuff like that. So yeah. establish like that, what could be like the problem. Mm -hmm. So what could be the solution for this? Mm -hmm. So also in that article, basically there is like, like this one sentence, which kind of like the TL uh, too long didn't read, like this kind of section, like TLDR. <laughs> I love those. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I very like to, I often like to put them to the article because it's like, of course you can write like a 10 minute of content, but people just want to get like the answer right now and they need to solve their problem. But maybe then later on, they have more time, they can come back and like get to the nitty gritty, but at least provide them like the actual insight as soon as possible so that they get the value. And then, yeah, of course, if they are interested, they are free to free to dig deeper, but not everybody needs to dig deeper and not everybody needs to dig deeper right now, right? So this, this proved to be pretty valuable for the folks. So, and the TLDR of this problem would be that whenever we are dealing with RxJS stream in Angular applications, it is always possible to include all the sources of change into the stream definition from start. And because of that, we never need to redefine or recreate stream during the component lifetime as a consequence of some change. So of course, this is a bit long sentence, so we can unpack it and like look at the smaller chunks. But basically, it all boils down to that the RxJS observable streams are like at, at their core is the concept of change over time, right? It's the values over time, as we spoke mm -hmm. in the beginning, that we can also think about it metaphorically as like asynchronous arrays of values over time. So, and because of that, that the change is at its core, and uh, that means we should we, sh we, are we should do it and it's possible to do to express all that change which can happen in the future. For example, user selected another product, user added an extra, user removed an extra, user clicked on calculate. Now, whatever that is, whatever user interaction that is, whatever change that is, we can express it as a stream and we can combine the streams together. That's something which we didn't speak about yet, but basically RxJS stream are highly composable with all the provided operators like combined latest, fork join, mm -hmm. and whatever that yeah. is, merge, concat, whatever that is, right? And because of this, now we're coming to that central point, we should basically express all the possible sources of change as a stream beforehand, and then we can use them to create this one stream which can handle 
all those interactions, so that means switching of a product, adding, removing of the extras, we can define it only in one place, only in one time, and it will properly calculate that every price, final price, which can happen based on the user interaction. So, and this has like many benefits. One of the most ones, like the most important ones is that it will become much easier to understand what is happening in that component or service because we have this one definition and we know that if you look at that one definition of that stream which contains everything that that's all that we need to understand and that's all that will ever happen in that component make sense yeah yeah it's the quick and easy solution and make make a lot of sense as well because uh, when we are writing inside an event so event can be triggered by multiple way if the change detection is not handled properly also that can also uh, definitely event and that can cause uh, multiple call to the server definitely. It, it definitely it makes sense yeah this also exactly as you said like this gives us another like uh, space to introduce like other kind of optimization so if you have like this single stream that we can much easier like control how stuff happens so maybe if the, like maybe in the in the case of like selecting products this will not happen that often that we need to like worry about the cancellation. But what if there is like a drop down with 50 different options mm -hmm. and users just go down with the arrow key, right? So and yeah. then what if the, the calculation and the request takes more than five seconds, then most likely we want to cancel those previous workloads, for example, with something like a switch map, instead mm -hmm. of like letting them all run till the completion. But yeah, like that's from like the, that's, yeah, the, that's definitely a very, very important benefit which can have a big impact on the on the user experience and the performance but from the developer perspective and like the developer experience perspective like if i come to this kind of like implementation let's say it's in a component and then i see okay in engine init of our component there are like five small stream definitions of some partial change just definition 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 and then there is another definition which combines them together and most likely it's not even subscribed with the subscribe but only in the async pipe in the template which gives us like okay now i want to get the price based on all of those things then this becomes like uh, much easier to understand because it's almost nothing really happening in that component. I don't really have to go from method A to method B, then this was called or something like this. I have this nice static declarative logic, which I can just scan with the eyes and it should contain all that will ever happen in that component. And this is really possible to achieve in practice as like the practice, sorry, as the experience like from the real life organization shows that it's possible to write this kind of logic often and it really leads to much easier to read and understand components. Yeah, I think the, these are the same, the similar concept we are doing in NGRS selector. We are selecting everything, a lot of uh, data, and at the last value, we are just putting in async pipe and that handling the things. Exactly. And, uh, exactly. One more benefit I can think of is now it will become easier, pretty easier to test as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like it's just like, like i know we are kind of keep coming back to the same thing but like how to say so also like those interaction in terms of like testing when you say like we don't have to think like okay then i call the method and then like i mean in smaller components it's not really a problem because there you kind of see it but if it gets a little bit bigger then then it really makes a difference if you how hard it is to follow like what is happening when like okay did i recreate now the stream so did the old one got cleaned up properly stuff like that and if it's just really like a single single stream which handles all this then it's then it's easier to test as you said and one other thing which you said which was also very 
relevance to this topic is that this is again on this kind of like the lowest level when you do not use the state management library. Because as you said correctly, that if you are using something like NGRX, this whole thing becomes much easier to mm -hmm. achieve because this kind of state management library comes with some basic architecture that the concerns are split. So we have selectors, we have reducers, we have effects and stuff like that. And because mm -hmm. of that, it's much easier to do it declaratively because this kind of logic then would happen most likely part of it in selectors and part of it in effects. And it will be nicely separated, even much better yeah. as what we are doing naively without this kind of state management library. What I uh, wanted to like sort of clarify is the main problem that we uh, see in the articles, all the stuff that is happening in the subscription part of logic, right? Like we subscribe to an observable and then uh, things happen inside the callback that kind of are not uh, what we would ideally want to have. And I thought that it kind of, when you mentioned the async pipe, I thought, yeah, it makes sense if we kind of try to avoid like directly subscribing to observables and also avoid like operators like tab that would introduce side effects that will probably like fix this problem together with different other problems too, right? So I guess, yes, that's like a part of the problem. So part of the problem is to like subscribe as you said, but part of the problem, even if we only did it like, right, that we only subscribe with the async pipe in the template, still we can have it kind of not right. If let's say we have a, we have a component instance variable, which is like the final price, for example, and then we subscribe to it in our template where we show like the final price. So maybe we do not even call subscribe, which would be even worse, but still what could happen is that inside of the handler of the component, when we switch a product, so handle switch product or something like that, instead of making this part of the initial stream, what could happen is that we will recreate and reassign a new stream into that component property, which handles that or holds that stream of the final price. And this will be then resubscribed in a template with us in pipe. So this is already a bit better because we are not doing dot subscribe so there is less less worry about the cleanup because the cleanup will happen perfectly because we are using the async pipe but still this logic when it's more complex and the component grows larger can be much harder to follow because it might not be obvious that this stream is gonna get reassigned and recreated and usually there are some sort of side effects next to it so that's like the concern so even if it if it if it's like without any subscribe, if it's only subscribe with the async pipe and no explicit subscribe, it still may cause different kind of problems if we are recreating and reassigning streams during the component lifetime or service lifetime based on some events, right? So those are like two different levels of that. So from very bad to just bad. Yeah, I see. Uh, I was always concerned with. Uh all that side effect stuff going on with when we use RHGS, uh, lots of people tend to like kind of jam some logic into either the subscription or then they think that maybe I would be using the async pipe. And sometimes I even notice that uh, there is a situation when people would want to just perform a side effect that they cannot do in a declarative way, like only with RHGS. For example, like disabling form controls, enabling form controls, which has an imperative API. So they would 
then rather than subscribe to it, they would sort of write something with the tab operator and then shove that logic into the callback and then uh, kind of use the async pipe to do the cleanup logic, but not really needing the async pipe. And I always found that sort of like weird in a way that, yeah, it's good that we're not subscribing and obviously we have to perform that logic. And But on the other hand, I mean, I'm kind of using the async pipe, but I don't really need the data. So do you think it's a situation that it would be better to have a subscription uh, like usual and use like take until maybe there is a better approach for that? I think that's a, that's a very good point which you raised there that I also seen that in practice that exactly, as you said, like people just don't like to subscribe so much that they would go like even to a very extra length just to avoid doing that, even though it becomes like much more confusing in as a result, right? So exactly what you said, people will put in tap, then they will subscribe in async pipe, even though this kind of usually means that you are using the data in a template, you are not using it in a template at all. So then like if you come like after a couple of months or your team member, they will be like, okay, so but like why I'm subscribing to this in the template, if it's not using the template or is this a bug, maybe I should have used that data or what is happening. So it's kind of like obscuring what was the intent just to follow that rule that I should never explicitly subscribe. So so in those cases, I would also rather or I, what I usually do personally is that I use the subscribe to perform the side effect because then it's explicit that I'm not introducing another concept of template where it doesn't belong. I do not confuse my teammates with this. And then, of course, you have to really pay attention to cleanup. And that's another very great argument for why the proper state management library like NGRX makes the most sense because there the effect is like the first class concept so they are handled in a place where everybody expects them to be handled. And also then because of the life cycle or how it works with those effects that the, actually the NGRX library subscribes to the effects and unsubscribe for them when the feature is destroyed or whatever. We do not even have to think about these kind of things. We, we never have to deal with the life cycle of that as we would have to do if it's like in component or a service. So yeah, that's a very good point. Are you ready for core web vitals? Fortunately, Raygun can help. These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website, which is why Raygun has baked them directly into their real user monitoring tools. Now you can see your core web vital scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving you greater insights and control. Filter your score by time frame, browser, device, geolocation, whatever matters to you most. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail they provide so you can take action. Quickly identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance-level diagnostics of every page request, and a whole lot more. Visit raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start from as little as $8 per month. That's raygun.com for your free 14-day trial. About NJRX, what you said, uh, of course, I agree with that, but it raised another question for me. How do how can I perform like uh, purely component-related side effects with like the classical effects, not using component store, but for the same example, like I have a form and one mm-hmm. control should be disabled. If, for example, there is some missing permission that is coming from the store. Yeah. Is there any way to do that using the 
NGRX effects, or should I take the actions uh, observable and work with that in the component? Is that a normal approach? I see. So basically, yeah, if, if we are speaking about this exact uh, situation, which you mentioned that the forms have like imperative API, so we have to call like enable or disable on the particular form control, then of course, in that case, basically, even if the value comes from the store, if we have like there, like in our reducer, if our state has like a field, ena- field A enabled or field B disabled or whatever that is, we still kind of need a way to transform that value, which would be then in the template, which can we cannot, let's say, be used in a template because that thing only has a imperative API. We still somehow have to get it out of that stream to be able to use it imperatively in the component. So in that case, most likely to be in line with what we said before would be then again like explicitly subscribe to that selector which gives you maybe only that like one flag to disable this or that and then you still have to take care of the cleanup logic then again on the other hand what we can also say is that because this is kind of like a view coming through the selector so usually when i when i write selectors i don't go with five different selectors but i create like a tailor-made view model selector for a particular container component so and then that flag if this is enabled or disabled will be part of that model and also i know that this most of those values will be used in a template because a selector for the view so i am anyway using async pipe to subscribe to that anyway because it's a view model then i would maybe even be in favor of using tap to perform the side effect because it is not like abusing of the async pipe just to like trigger the side effect it's actually most of the data is for the template if that uh, form control would support declarative api in the template we could use that flag directly in the template so it's kind of more like a workaround for the api only being imperative or that particular thing so in that case maybe tap is not necessarily the worst idea because it is a side effect of like those view view model changing that we have to change the view that how it how it looks and how it behaves. I never thought about using like one selector with all the sort of data mm-hmm. intended for the view. That's a that's a really nice idea. Thanks. It's usually like like when we when we have like this container, right? Like a container component which then interacts with the store. So not right. just like these simple view components. Then, like I also often was in a situation when you have five, six, three, how many selectors, and then you have to subscribe to it. But then I was like, why not just create one which has this perfect shape of the state exactly for that container? So then in that case, there is also less coupling because it's only coupled to one selector, kind of. So it's, it's so if the selectors are used across multiple containers, this then there is much more coupling, and this can be solved like this. So it's much easier to evolve like independently. But again, just to relate this to our original topic, this is all like when we are using some proper state management library like NGRX, which is not the case in many, many Angular applications. So if you have Angular application, which just rolls with some services, which then provide like some backend uh, requests and they store like some state in the components or other services. In that case, we have to manage this by ourselves. And then we get back to that point that we still have to manage this kind of low level RxJS stream because we do not really have those very nice architectural concepts like selectors, reducers, and effects. And in that case, all those previously discussed tips can apply and help you achieve much cleaner and easier to maintain logic. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm definitely also happy like to to talk about like more like the NGRX topics. It's just that the it's not confusing like with the with the name of the show, let's say. Yeah. So one like 
quick question coming to my mind like uh, suppose uh, a application is uh, developed and after they do the development they found out that there are a lot of uh, observables leaking out and lot of rhs operator they are using those are leaking out the memory now for them what will be the quickest way to fix this problem so did i understand that correctly that like we have like too many subscriptions which do not get cleaned up and because yep. of that yep. we have a memory leaks yeah 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 so this is exactly like the thing which would be prevented by applying this tip so mm-hmm. so because then i mean when we have a component so how does the memory leak happens in the first place like in the rxjs world so usually what happens is when we have a component and we have like explicit subscription to one of our streams and we do not clean it up on the component distraction this happens for example when we have application with multiple routes and if we navigate from one route to another then those previous components get destroyed right and if we have in one of those components which is getting destroyed an explicit subscription and we do not have like unsubscribe and cleanup logic what will happen is the component basically because that subscription is still live that will be like references in the memory to it so it cannot get cleaned up by the garbage collection so this is how this happened and this is why it's so it is a problem because if we navigate many times in our application those streams are potentially huge the memory consumption will grow and grow and grow mm-hmm. until our application starts not being as responsive or totally unresponsive which we definitely do not want to happen another case when this can happen even without any kind of navigation is when we are showing and hiding something conditionally in angular this can be for example with ng if or with ng for if we are rendering some items which can be even much more brutal case where it happens let's say we have a we have a list items and we have also pagination so on one page we show 10 items and for some reasons those 10 items need to use some stream inside of them right so now mm-hmm. whenever we switch the page we c- throw away 10 items and we recreate new 10 items which then create new subscriptions so this can be also creating like this memory leak on steroids right so because whenever we change the page and if we have 50 items on the page that's a 50 new subscriptions which then if they are not cleaned up properly of course this will escalate very quickly so this is how this can happen and this is why it's a problem now yeah how to solve it is basically we need a cleanup logic and that even if it's not organized perfectly we still need the cleanup logic and if we have a cleanup logic even if our code is not perfectly architecture it still can be prevented like the memory leak can be prevented and the cleanup logic in rxjs usually is all about unsubscribing those subscribed streams and there are multiple ways to do it that's actually another article or even couple of articles i've wrote about this topic as rxjs is like the all time favorite topic of most of the readers is that we have a couple of ways to unsubscribe so like one of the most basic ones is that whenever we subscribe to an rxjs observable stream what happens is that we will get a reference to that subscription object itself and then we can store it in a component instance for example in some like instance property and then angular components also have this lifecycle hooks right and one of them is ng on destroy which is called by the angular itself whenever the component should be destroyed which can be for example when the condition in ng if evaluates to false we want to hide that component or if the component is not anymore in that array which we want to render with the ng4 because we maybe switch the page 
or maybe its component is destroyed because we are navigating from one page to another. So all the components on the old page are to be cleaned up, destroyed. And in that case, Angular, in all those cases, Angular will call the ng on destroy lifecycle hook. And then because we have this reference to the subscription object, then we can use it in that ng on destroy and call unsubscribe on that subscription reference, right? And this will clean up that RxJS stream. And because it will be cleaned up, there will be no other reference from memory pointing to that component instance. So then this also can be cleaned by the browser garbage collection process whenever it will run the next time, preventing memory leak and accumulation of the that data in the memory and hence then slowing or slowing down the application or totally grinding it to hold, right? So we are always responsible to unsubscribe. So, and that's the one way to do it. Now, the better way to do it, which we already spoke about today is with uh, when we, whenever it makes sense to consume that stream in a template using the async pipe, which is provided by the Angular. And in that case, we actually do not need to do anything because the Angular async pipe automatically unsubscribe the stream it was which subscribe which it subscribed when the component is destroyed so we actually do not have to handle it and this is also the reason what armen said previously that people or or was it you super i'm not sure so that we spoke about previously that people sometimes abuse async pipe in the template to not consume data in a template at all just so that they can perform the side effects in the component logic so that they don't have to manage the unsubscription by themselves. And this most likely is an anti-pattern because it kind of like couples the templates to a logic which has nothing to do with the template, right? So, but async pipe besides that it's really great for unsubscribing, automatic unsubscribing. And then the third way when we really need to unsubscribe, but we are not using the async pipe is to do it more declaratively with the help of the take until operator, which we then can be part of the stream. We have to usually create a subject in the component. And then when the component is destroyed, then ng on destroy, we can call like a next on that subject, which notifies the next event. And usually I also call it complete, even though I heard that it's maybe not necessary. So we can call next and complete. And that subject will then be passed into that take until operator, which were using in our stream. And then the stream will be cleaned up whenever that take until fires. And there are some other like best practices about that, which are important to follow. Basically, it depends on where this take until is in that stream, because usually we have more than one operator in our stream. So we can have map, filter, switch map, whatever that is. And there are some rules about where to put the take until so that we are guaranteed that our stream was actually cleaned up. Maybe in the top level? Sorry? Maybe we can pipe the take until to the initial stream, which is started. Mm -hmm. So like, to be honest, I don't actually remember exactly every combination, which was like problematic. I think it had to do like with, it's uh, like this kind of operators like start with or take. So then sometimes you thought like you will clean up the stream, but you will not clean it because it never fired in the first place and stuff like that. But I'm not 100% sure about like those exact cases, but I am pretty positive that we could, we could find articles which dig deep exactly on that particular topic if, if we Google. So that's something to keep in mind that even if, if, we, if it looks good, so it's like, okay, we have a stream, even we, we define it once, 
it includes all sources of change. It has a proper unsubscription logic with the take until declarative approach. It still, under some circumstances, may lead to memory leak. In cases like, for example, one which really comes to mind as the first one is, I think, when the when we try to unsubscribe to stream which never fired or something like this, I think then it it will never get to that operator because we will never pass through that pipe or something like that. Which is another great reason why to use proper state management library like NGRX, because then usually these kind of things are separated in other concerns, so we will not really need to deal with this kind of logic in the components. We'll just yeah. consume the data from the from the selectors. This uh, reminds me of uh, the times that there were lots of questions in different things or shows that when lots of questions were like how we do this and how we were doing this and lots of time I enjoyed saying that you you know use NGRX or something like that that will fix most of the problems for like bad patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Even though it's true that like. It's never perfect, right? Because there is so many things like that, like the new bad patterns which come with the use of state management library. So on one hand, of course, it's much better because it has those clear-cut concepts to solve every of those of those requirements when we are managing this kind of stuff. But also because there are those concepts and if people are not familiar with them, then it's also like some potential for misusing it. So there's like an example from a couple of days ago, actually, where I found like an instance in one code base where somebody was throwing error in a selector because some data was not available, which then what will happen is that like with RxJS, whenever we throw an error, which is not really caught, it can crash our streams. Now, this also changed over time with some version because but uh, that was actually so yeah not in, uh, not in RxJS but in ngrx so in ngrx there at least in the effects you there was like some change from i think version 8 to 9 that whenever we crashed our stream that ngrx assumed that we did not really mean to crash it and it will resubscribe for us but that's in the effects not in the selectors so so the point is that whenever we throw an error in a stream and we do not really have a catch error operator that stream will basically go through a like error state, it will emit error, and then it will complete or crash, let's say. So, and that's something which we, of course, never want with the selectors because the selector should just keep pushing those updates into the view, right? So that's like another potential for other kind of best practices, even though we have this nice structure. One of them, like example from the wild from a couple of days ago was like throwing error in selector. So in general, like when working with streams, you do not really want to work with errors too much. I mean, you can, you can kind of like handle them, but then the problem is that they will crash your stream. So if it's like a plain RxJS stream, it will stop. So usually you want to handle errors as soon as possible and convert them to a valid value, which represents an error in your application, right? So usually when we do this, it's like, very close to like the input-output boundary. So when we are calling some service, which is like a backend call, for example, this can fail because of various reasons like network. So then usually what we want to do is to have like a catch error RxJS operator very close to that place where this kind of thing is happening, which could fail. And then we want to transform that error into a value which describes that error. So instead of being like a real error, which would then crash the stream, it's a new object 
which describes, okay, there was this kind of error and maybe based on that value, I can show some feedback in the UI. So instead of like a list of items, I will have an empty array of the list of items because I didn't get any items. And I will have an error property which describes, oh, something went wrong or like the backend not available or whatever that is. So that's a, that's a very good, good point, which also it's kind of like a best practice when working with the RxJS stream that we should try to handle errors as close to where they could occur and convert them into like uh, valid values, which our application then can use to show some feedback to the users. I have remember I have used this technique in the in the fog join to get all the all the parallel data back, else it will just uh, go to the error state and complete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely, it, it it really can help in those situations. And I see we have here also Sunny. How about how are you doing, man? Welcome. Are you muted? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just listening in. You know, I'm I am probably the 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 least RxJX friendly person here, right? <laughs> really? It's based on like some bad personal experience or way. No, no. I, I like RxJX. I just haven't. I guess while you were speaking, you were just mentioning a lot of the things I didn't even know were wrong. I was like, hmm, well, let me just keep quiet and just pretend, oh, oh no, I've never done that before. <laughs> but that's I've never seen that. Everybody did this, right? Like everybody did, did this and everybody keeps doing that. And that's also why this is still a topic after all these years, because it's like very powerful, but it's also just, it just takes a long time to really develop a proper intuition. Like I also find myself Googling like the operators and how to use it. Or as I mentioned previously, right? Like I don't really remember like what's the correct order to put take until under every circumstance because just so many things. So it's it's always like there is always more to learn with RxJS. Let's put it that way. And I think every in every month there is a new operator in RxJS. <laughs> it's increasing. Oh, lot. that would not be a fair statement. I think actually <laughs> the amount is being reduced now. Like with this, okay. now there was this release, right? Like for the RxJS seven lately, and I think there were like quite some like simplifications of the API and like some uh, operator deprecations in favor of less of operators with more options because they like based on like usage experience like i think ben realized that some things can be simplified to provide better and more consistent developer experience another cool thing which is in the version 7 is that maybe you remember like back in the day whenever we were like importing stuff to use from rhjs that it was something like rhjs slash observable as a package so we had to do like a deep import or subject or async subject or whatever that was or then operators. And this then got simplified over time to the just like two main import points, the RxJS itself, which was for all this based up like observable, subject, behavior, subject, and even like the instance or the, the classes of those, and then the operators. And now in the version seven, we can now correctly import everything from just the base RxJS. So we do not have to do two different imports. So I think that's also a step in the right direction. And basically, in the past, it was mostly for the tree shaking purposes. And now, with uh, now it was now they were basically able to achieve the same tree shake ability with the import from the single package name namespace RxJS. So that's a cool thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's just, yeah. The, go ahead, Sunny. No, no, I was just echoing like everything. You, you for me, this is just I just mostly stay quiet because it's been very educational for me. Like I have a lot to learn when it comes to. Like I only just started using NGRX like this year. Like I'm that guy. But the more and more now, if I can't do anything with RxJX, I almost feel weird 
like how can I pipe this is the question I'm asking how can I pipe this how can I do that how can I how can I really take advantage I'm not, and then you start to get a deeper understanding of just the streams and I think most of us don't the subject how things are playing and oh why is this thing not I've updated it, but it's not replaying here. Oh, there's a switch map somewhere messing everything up. And so it's it's really powerful. And I think there's a lot to learn from people like Thomas, I guess, to really get to know way more about this. Definitely. And one maybe thing which we can add on top of that, which is like a very cool thing about the NGRX itself, is that because those streams are really complicated, like they're powerful, but complicated. Mm-hmm. When you think about the NGRX, actually there is... Like when we when we speak about this implementation of the selectors itself, there is no stream inside. So that's like they kind of could remove that from most of the parts and abstract it to a place where you are not really meeting it like when coding. So whenever you are writing like NGRX selector, there is no notion on stream inside. It's like a plain synchronous imperative logic. Same for the reducer. There is no notion of the stream, right? So the only place where the RxJ streams are actually being used as when writing like the code, when writing the NGRX logic is in the effects, which is which is pretty cool that they could basically chunk it in such a way that they could only make sure that it's only in one place where is the complicated stuff and then keep all the other parts as simple as possible. And that's, I think it's another huge benefit of, of using this kind of like advanced state management library. All right, well, we're kind of getting to the point where we need to get to picks. Is there kind of an overarching idea, I guess, to come back to with this? As far Definitely. as yeah, so basically, whatever you use, if it's uh, if it's just plain RxJS or a more advanced state management library like NGRX or NGXS or Akita or whatever that is, which usually is anyway using the RxJS streams or even something like a Redux observable, right? So it's not that just it's used in the Angular universe; it's also used in other applications built with React if they are using React and Redux observable, for example, because it's just so powerful. So it's useful also outside of the Angular bubble. So the thing is, you always really should try to include all sources of potential change in the stream from the start so that you do not need to recreate the stream during the component of service lifetime as a result of like like reacting to some user events. This will keep your logic much simpler to understand as you will just see like this one stream definition which will contain everything that can happen in one place. So you don't have to like jump all over the place when trying to understand what is going on in your file. And this is very powerful as for developers, for your colleagues, for you yourself when you are coming back to your code after some time. But of course, then there is like additional benefit to that, that this kind of logic is much easier to probably test. And also it's much less likely to introduce memory leaks, which can then degrade the performance for your end users, which you never want, right? You want to de- like deliver the applications which are very nice to use for your users so that they they have a good experience and they don't get nasty. Like, why is it taking so long? Like I've been searching, watching that spinner. This is chopping. Like you don't want that, right? You mm-hmm. want users to be happy. Like, oh, this is a very cool app. I can achieve everything I want. It's just very snappy. So that's what we want to achieve, right? Awesome. All right, one more question before we do picks, and that is if people want to connect with you, usually people are looking for like GitHub or Twitter or link to your Medium blog. Where do they find you online? Definitely. So basically, any of those platforms which you mentioned, whenever you want to find me there, it's just search for like Thomas Tryan. So it's all together, all small. It's Thomas without H. So just Thomas, not Thomas. 
So it's just Thomas Trajan. And it's like github.com slash Thomas Trajan, Twitter slash Thomas Trajan, or at Thomas Trajan, medium slash Thomas Trajan. So all of those platforms, you can find me, you can find a, a lot of free resources like blogs, uh, open source libraries, even the ones which I didn't mention, like, for example, for lazy loading on Angular Elements, stuff like that. Also, if you want to stay up to date with the releases of the framework as the libraries, then check out at release Butler on Twitter. And yeah, if you are interested in like Angular trainings, then please check www.thomastrayan.com. I offer like some Angular and uh, NGRX workshops. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum, and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people, and now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. All right, Subrat, <laughs> what are your picks? So recently, I was reading a book like The Courage to be Disliked, and it's it's a pretty, pretty good book in a good way so it's like not always saying yes to please everyone and that's what i think is required in some places at least so i'll pick pick this book awesome sunny do you have some picks for us yeah i've got one book as well uh it's called david of goliath by malcolm gladwell An amazing book mm, good one um, it's about really why sometimes it's good to use the underdog technique instead of the conventional way to really like match your strengths and skills and flip the script around. So amazing book. Awesome. I'm going to throw in some picks as well. So first of all, and I, I don't remember if I've talked about this on previous episodes or not, because it's kind of a new thing, but I'm going to be doing basically Q&A sessions every Wednesday at noon, mountain time. I know that that's a little bit late for Europe and a little bit early for... Anyway, it was kind of the time that I had free. The plan is... Um, I'm going to do like 10 to 15 minutes worth of training, just kind of walk you through some aspect of learning or growing or doing better in your career. You know, if people are interested, maybe we'll do resumes or things like that, interviewing. And then for the rest of the time, for the rest of the hour, hour and a half that I have scheduled on my calendar or longer, you know, if people still have questions, I'm just going to answer questions. And when I say answer questions, it's not going to be so much of the, hey, you know, how do I get a better job? And I'm just going to give you like a two sentence answer. I'm really intending to bring people onto the call, have a conversation with them, figure out where they're at, figure out what they're trying to get to, and then actually offer real advice, right? So I assume some of them are going to be real, real quick, like, hey, it sounds like it's time for you to quit your job, you know, or find a better job, right? Because sometimes some of the things that people bring to me, I'm just like, I'm like, that, that situation's not okay, right? And, and so it is a short answer. But then we can have a conversation about how to find a better job. But the a lot of times it's, I want to speak at conferences or I'm a junior dev and I want to, I want to advance in this way. Or, you know, I'm a senior dev and I feel like I'm just kind of stuck and I'm just coasting, right? So how do I get off the coasting wagon and onto the upward trajectory like I felt like I was in a couple of years ago or whatever? I want to start a podcast. How do I do that? You know, I'm happy to help people with that. So if you're looking for that, it's free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up. 
and uh, you can jump on those calls. And like I said, it's going to be like 10, 15 minutes worth of training and then Q&A. It will take you to the Zoom webinar software is the is what I'm using for it. But I am being very careful not to call it a webinar because webinar is here's half the useful information you're going to need in a sales pitch at the end. And that's not what I'm doing. So yeah, I, I, I've been coaching people and I've just really been enjoying it. Really feel like I can make a difference. If you are looking to hire a coach, I do that too, but I'm not going to be pitching that on any of that stuff. So it really is just going to be me talking to people. And then if there is need for a deeper conversation, then we can figure that out. I do that for free for some people sometimes. So anyway, beyond that, I have set a goal to do an Ironman, which is 140 miles of swimming, biking, and running. That's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot. I am reasonably certain at this point that I could complete a sprint triathlon if I wanted to, which is considerably shorter. But as part of that process, I hired a coach and I am going to pick hiring a coach. So whatever you're trying to get to, I found that one of the easiest ways to short circuit the work is to hire a coach and then they'll actually, because what I wind up doing is I try this and try this and try this and try this and try this, right? And then eventually I'll figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. And if I want it to take 10 times less time because I don't have to try everything to figure it out, I hire a coach. So I hired a triathlon coach and uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, the system we're using for the workouts is called Training Peaks. I've picked it on the show before and I, I'm really uh, happy with that. And yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm going to shout out about that as well. And then finally, I've been listening to a book called Rocket Fuel. It's a business book and it talks about having in a company, having a visionary and an integrator. And so the visionary is kind of the person who looks ahead, long-term vision, let's try this new thing. You know, they kind of push the boundaries on stuff. And then the the integrator is the person who kind of pumps the brakes a little bit and says, hey, wait a minute, this is probably what it's going to take to get there. We need to slow down or, you know, hey, that's a great idea. Here's how we're going to, you know, figure it all out. And anyway, it's been really, really interesting. So if you're looking at going into entrepreneurship at all, I highly recommend that book because it'll, it'll make you think about, okay, where do I fit in? What am I going to be doing? Uh, you know, am I the integrator? Am I the visionary? And if I'm one or the other, how do I find the other? And what I'm finding is, is that I'm much more naturally the visionary than the integrator. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the generally the case with software developers. I think it depends a lot on personality and things. But yeah, they talked about you don't take orders well from other people. And <laughs> there, there were there were several things in there that I definitely identified with. So Anyway, it was recommended to me by a bunch of friends and it's it's kind of making me think. So I'm going to pick that. All right, Thomas, what are your picks? Also, borderline, like not very software related, but lately I find like the one thing that is called the Huberman podcast. It's like some, like a professor for MIT and it goes really deep, and but still very accessible on many topics about the health and human body, which for me was always very fascinating. And it's also like a lot of actionable insights. So for example, what I learned from there is like in terms of like managing sleep, that even small stuff like when you wake up in the morning and just going out for like a 10 minutes to get a little bit of this morning sunlight into your eyes can make a huge difference in terms of like timing various bodily processes and stuff like this. And I started doing this kind of stuff and I really feel quite some difference in terms of like sleep quality and stuff like that. So for me, this was uh, this was like a very nice highlight that there is such a amount of very high quality 
content available on YouTube and Spotify. So I highly recommend that I just spend now like tens of hours listening and learning to this kind of stuff. And even like like a stuff like this, like when you are, let's say like I sit now right in the room, right? And if it's a day, you kind of feel like it's it's almost the same amount of light inside as outside. And then it's like some simple app on your phone where it's like some light meter and you can see this like inside it could be like something around like 100 lux, which is something like in the cave as if. And if you just go to the window, like close to the window or step out of the balcony and just take your step outside and just look up, even if it's cloudy, it will be like three, four, five thousand lux. So that's like an imaginable difference. And this is why this kind of tip actually can work even though intuitively would say like, yeah, if I just have a window on, on the on the wall, it kind of feels like there is quite some light in this room. But in fact, it's actually very dark. It's just like your eyes are accommodating and compensating for this kind of stuff, which I was totally unaware of for my whole life. So I can highly recommend that to check that out. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. This was a lot of fun. Definitely. All Thanks. right. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty top discussion. Oh. Pretty good discussion. Yep. Till next time, folks. Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.